0: Nazis fights evil robots saves the day distinguished snowy sideburns join us on uh, this episode where as we travel through space and time with the strong man who's not the wrong man Tom Strong in Tom Strong and the robots of doom welcome to detecting the marvelous this is an exciting day I'm not just joined by Dan Rosen who is an exciting in and of himself uh, but we also have our new co-host Shihara Ghaznabi. Welcome.
1: Hi, Ooh. oh my goodness. <laughs> How, I love your intros. I love it. It's so <laughs> yeah. mystical in and of themselves. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm channeling my inner game show host when I yeah. do this kind of stuff.
1: I and can see you with like your baton in hand and everything. Yeah, like little little
0: tiny mic. Yeah.
1: Absolutely and your intro
2: really harkens back to that like old school, like pulpy comic style, <laughs> like, oh go get him, superhero. Which Very yeah, movie serial.
1: <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My inner, my inner Stanley Pulp Pulp movie uh, intro kind of guy. But yeah, and we've also got an additional guest today, and that was that was her. Uh, but I don't want to tease like a Golden Age cover cl- uh, cover bait comic book um, with Superman <laughs> losing Lois Lane. Uh, no, um, we've also been joined by the host of one of my favorite comic book YouTube channels, Casually Comics. She's the host with all the quotes. She knows all the things Jimmy Olsen has changed into. Sasha yeah. Wood, thank you for joining us. Woo-hoo! I'm so
3: happy to be here. I'm thrilled to be able to talk about Tom Strong and comics with you guys. Yeah.
0: Oh,
2: no, it's great. Um, You're like a comic book guru celebrity. Yes.
0: Um, so before we launch into Tom, a few questions to get the audience familiar with you if they haven't had the joy of watching your YouTube channel. And if you haven't, go watch it after this podcast then go watch it but um yeah so what was your first comic what what was the one that you found first in in your journey
3: uh the first one it's actually funny doing the channel kind of unlocked a memory actually that i didn't realize that i had where i had thought that i had picked it back up in university with batman hush But then going through and researching for some older videos, I stumbled upon a Catwoman issue. It was Catwoman number 11 from the 90s. I just stared at this cover and I was like, wait a minute. Like, no, I remember this. And then I realized that this comic had been like lying around my house for some reason. It's a completely random issue of of Catwoman, but I read it so many times. I read it cover to cover, back to back. And I'm like, at some point, At some point that must have stuck, like stuck with me. But what Mm. I remember when I came back to it was definitely university waiting for the bus and there was a bookstore right there. And so I wandered in and it just had this huge graphic novel section and I was always just walking past it. And one day I was like, you know what, let's do it. Let's actually like buy something (laughs) instead of just loitering around this bookstore. Let's get something and read it.
0: Now, um, like we all have our moment where we fell in love with comics, which isn't necessarily our first comic. For me, it was like on with Sega Beach in the summer. I was reading like Wolverine on the Brood Homeworld, Mm -hmm. getting his butt kicked and he became like half Wolverine, half Brood. Um, So what was that moment that you kind of like just was like, oh, this is this is awesome. This is for me.
3: I think the one that really stuck with me was when I started collecting uh, Superman Batman, the 2000s Mm -hmm. run. And there's that Mm -hmm. first cheesy arc, Public Enemies, where they have the dueling narration balloons where it's Batman and Superman and they're like complimenting mm. each other's balloons going back and forth, kind of finishing <laughs> each other's <laughs> thoughts from like the opposite like side of it. And I was like, this is just so fun. I'm really, really enjoying this. And it was just such a fun moment. And it was just a fun time to get into the comic fandom as well, just because you had all the popularity with the MCU and all those things. And so you had all these different types of fans coming together. And so it was just really mm. interesting and because it was also the really beginning of collecting everything into huge traits like every everything you could find mm. a lot of things some of them you can't find anymore which is sad because they used to collect a lot of golden age stuff back then
0: <laughs> yeah i've been looking for there's this comic i read in high school it was not that like burst of like magic stuff that came out of sandman in the beginning of vertigo mm. like mr e and it was all cubist art like the mm-hmm. entire thing was just cubist and it was involved oh, yeah. Daniel from the book of uh book of magic and like all of those like early vertigo hellblazer adjacent characters. And it, it was like, it was just really dark and you just can't find that stuff anymore. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's gone. It's lost. And it's like, geez. <laughs> so it's a kind of a bummer. So yeah. yeah. Um. You know, what's the most fun you've had? doing your 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 youtube channel doing your videos
3: that that varies depending upon upon <laughs> <laughs> when i'm asked that question what? but it's just whenever i can really talk about something that i'm really into and the final product is what i want it to be like regardless of whether it gets lots of views or not just if i can look back on and be like this this was all the things that i wanted to get across and that's why one of my favorite videos is actually jimmy olsen transforms into things just because it was (laughs) so fun to compile all of those classic things and be like look look at all of the Jimmy like <laughs> things because there was no need to have them all be individual episodes, but all together, it was just a lot of fun. And also the retrospectives are a lot of fun, like sifting through all of those different iterations. Some people might find it tedious, but I find it really interesting to kind of compare and contrast and see how things have evolved and changed over time.
2: It's cool. Cause I was looking at your uh, videos and especially your last two that you did on the brave and the bold. Uh, or at least uh, some a couple of more recent mm-hmm. ones where you <clears throat> like you're focusing on when batman Brave and the bull gets really dark and so it's like bruce wayne's confronted with uh i don't want to spoil it it's a great video to check out but like you know uh basically like confronting like one of the most like the most darkest point in his life and i thought that was really cool because you focus on this one specific episode but then you still compare to, like, the tones of other iterations of Batman and how, like, you know, why it the dark tone, like, is, you know, really standing out in this specific episode and so on. Uh, and how it compares to, like, how this moment has been handled in other iterations, both comic and uh, cartoon of Batman. So I think I mean, that's really cool. So sometimes you have that, like, broad scope, but then you also really get into, like, the specifics of, like, a moment. In the uh, comic book history,
3: I'm I'm glad that people come along with me for that journey and find it interesting because oftentimes I'm worrying. I'm like, my am I, am I going too niche? Is this like too deep <laughs> down the rabbit hole?
0: That's yeah. what I love, is though. Is when you go niche, yeah. Mm, it's like yeah. you're you're digging into things that people might not otherwise see. Like yeah. like one thing you do that I love is you go into the Golden Age um yeah. a lot, the and the Golden and Silver Age and you know a lot of people especially because it's been so long now they didn't don't necess- didn't necessarily grow up as much with that um do you have a favorite period like golden silver modern like the bronze age uh what what do you have what what one calls you the most
3: hmm i feel like there's a there's an era that's my era which is i feel like there's an era that everybody kind of gravitates towards the most and for me it's definitely i think the one where i started which was Mm -hmm. kind of the early 2000s to like 2010s but where i go to for for fun often is the silver age i just enjoy seeing what what is out there the silver age and the bronze age right before dc's implosion when they were just jamming all the backups into all the books and everything was a hundred pages and it's just anything that could be written was written it's a good time
0: you get the most bonkers concepts during that window um you know it's just i i i still have i mean technically the 90s were when my like peak comic book era it was just the pouches there's too many pouches it's just like I can't deal with this. I I'm going to go and read Sandman and sit in the corner and listen to the Cure or something like <laughs> that. Um yeah, now um it be is there a particular like is there a comic that's not necessarily one from, from like DC or Marvel, but is there any comic that if you had to tell people to go and read che- that you'd recommend for people to check out?
3: Yeah, Astro City. Uh, 100% I would send people to Astro City and I feel good saying that right now because it's actually been reprinted so you can truly go and get it. It's got a bunch of different Metro books collecting the early 90s arcs all together. They're releasing a giant compendium. We're almost to the issues that I am missing so I'm very excited for them to maybe get there (laughs) but it's super fun. It's um, Kurt Busiek and it's this superhero universe where it's just all of these different heroes. And it's basically vignettes, but they all kind of tie together. And you have this kind of overarching narrative that you can piece together because all your stories are happening at different time periods with different characters. It's just a very rich universe for that reason. And it's it's very interesting. I, every now and again, I'll dip into it on the channel, but it's just got some very interesting, not deconstructions, but reconstructions or alternate looks at certain heroes that really make them feel unique like the samaritan Winged victory all of those characters are really interesting to dive into
2: that's cool and they've been trying in the last recently also to make an astro city like movie and tv show it's like the right yeah they always flirt with it the past 20 years and yeah
0: it's like it's just the nature there's some comic books where it's like i'd love to see it adapted but i'm also living in dread of seeing it adapted because (laughs) it's just like oh like i think you know there's very few that really grasp the medium well and i think like the scott pilgrim movie was one of those few just because it embraced that that bonkersness of it but i Mm -hmm. kind of think it worked mainly because scott pilgrim was in fact also embracing video games and manga yeah. and anime. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like emulating other genres, which let the film emulate other genres. So it kind of gelled. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you're getting in like kind of like an a- Aturi kind of vignettes told over yeah. stories, it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah. that's why it always, it's always good you have the original source material. It's not like it goes bad because somebody made a movie. Um, yeah, well, um, Tom Strong was written by the mystical man with the most magnificent beard in comics, Alan Moore. Uh, so Dan, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Alan Moore and Tom Strong
2: for sure? So I'll start off with uh, Tom Strong. I really had to cut down because I was ready to go like 30 minutes <laughs> off of Alan Moore and yeah, like just like 10 minutes on his beard. Um, uh, <laughs> <I'll... coughs> His magnificent beard. I'll start with, yeah, so Tom Strong, as you said, comic book created by Alan Moore and artist Chris Sprouse. Uh, it was initially published bi-monthly by America's Best Comics, which was an imprint of DC Comics in their Wildstorm division. I think, like, one thing DC does really well is, like, some of these, like, other, like, not, like, their main, main superheroes, but, you know, like, how they have, got, like, Sandman and Tom Strong and these others are, like, really strong side ones that they do uh so tom strong the title character he's sometimes described as a science hero Mm -hmm. uh with his wife dalua if i'm pronouncing that right dalua Mm uh and pardon (laughs) yeah okay i think that's great yeah dalua okay and a daughter tesla and they both have enhanced physical and mental abilities and longevity like him uh he lives in Millennium City in a building called the Stronghold. Quink, <laughs> nice little pun there. Uh, and he's also helped by uh, Newman, or with a P, or I don't know if it's Newman, but I guess because he's like a sort of steam-powered steampunk robot. Uh, and King Solomon, a gorilla with human characteristics. Um, both of them with vaguely Jewish names, uh, but uh, I mean, just not uh, going on the names alone. Uh, he's both uh, uh, and he's both kind of this like sort of the reason why I mentioned why I liked uh Matt's intro so much because he's both like a loving tribute and a spoof of those early po- comic book heroes, uh, much like Matt's intro as that like early Stanley style comic book <laughs> style uh you know Excelsior attitude to it. Uh, <laughs> so Tom was he was like raised and reared in this like high gravity chamber given an intensive education by his eccentric scientist parents uh in a a fictional island in the uh west indian uh fictional island called atabar teru um and so because of this upbringing where you know he's in the high gravity chamber and having this like uh you know very intense like sort of super smart science uh background from his parents and he's like regularly ingesting this Root that was used by the natives of this fictional Atapar uh, to help preserve your health and long life. It gives him sort of like quote unquote superpowers because it's not like usually, especially in like Marvel, it's like some sort of ray of like a gamma or cosmic or some sort of radiation that gives you your powers, spider bites, etc. But like here, it's kind of scientifically described of like why he's like, you know, he's. Super physically strong and, like, super, super duper smart, like, excellent, uh, you know, like, mental capacity. So, uh, it's kind of, like, a different, it's almost like there's this, like, it's still science fiction, but this scientific explanation for why he has these, you know, super strong powers and why, even after being alive for a 100 years or so, he still looks like he's just in his early 40s. Um. Which, as someone who is approaching his late 30s, who's in his late 30s, I am very uh, jealous of that aging ability. He still has a full head of hair after 100 years. Uh, uh,
0: so, As a 49-year-old with uh, thinning hair, uh, hair at the back, I, I am <laughs> yeah. truly but jealous. What you know
2: I'm jealous of your thinning hairline, Matt? Like, I went bald in my early 20s. But anyways, it's not about me. It's about Tom Strong. <laughs>
1: he yeah, has like the really attractive like you know like when you go gray at the side it's like almost like a doctor strange sort of yeah crazy. i gotta exactly. say i gotta like that
2: <laughs> that's true and you know what it's funny you mentioned that because there's a lot because also like even like uh reed richards has that it's kind mm-hmm. of this like silver fox kind of look that <laughs> you know yeah they got it for absolutely. it so yeah pardon absolutely yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. And so Tom Strong, he, uh, number one was published in April 7th, 1999 and would run for seven years. Uh, we first meet Ingrid Weiss, who is the mother of the, uh, main villain of Robots of Doom. Uh, and we first meet her in number four in an episode, uh, in an issue entitled Swastika Girls with an (laughs) exclamation point where she has kind of all her, like. Blonde haired, young, blonde haired, blue eyed, like Aryan, like sort of henchwomen who are all trying to take out Tom Strong. Um, And uh, there would be a spinoff later with Tom Strong's Terrific Tales uh, in 2004, which Moore was also writing. Uh, And like Robots of Doom, which is, is like a lot of time traveling and interacting with other Tom Strongs, both in the future and the past occurs often in the tom strong series and he meets different iterations of himself uh and then so after around 2006 it sort of stops for a few years and then in 2010 peter hogan and chris Bros brought it back for tom strong and the robots of doom uh six issue series that we're going to discuss today and then also again in 2013 for tom strong and the planet of peril <laughs> I do also, (laughs) I really love those, uh, those titles. Like, again, it is sort of like that, like old fashioned, like, you know, like Indiana Jones and, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So obviously such like an awesome title of like an adventure that you're going to go on, but it it also has like a bit of alliteration as well. So you're like, oh.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's sort of a very, yeah, like sort of good old, like, here we go kind of description. Uh, and so yeah, so it was great, and so now I'll go to like the Alan Moore background. Mm-hmm. So Alan Moore was born in uh Northampton, England, in 1953. I assume he had that luxurious full beard at birth. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot picture like even like a baby Alan Moore would still have that big like rasly like sort of beard. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, he's like the James Harden of comic book writers when it comes to beards. <laughs> um and he actually so he i guess he just celebrated his 70th birthday last month in november uh and though and so though like uh based although based on uh oh yeah i was just gonna say but based on his writing the idea of alan moore celebrating anything seems highly dubious he doesn't seem like (laughs) he goes to wild parties and actually i have a friend of mine who is from northampton and said like he's but there's like a pub that like Alan Moore often goes to and he'll be like wearing like this like sort of big like tall like sort of cartoon pilgrimy black hat and like that he's always wearing he's like dressed just as eccentric as his writing and everything uh that's great every, yeah. <laughs> yeah everything to match the beard I assume oh <laughs> to match the beard but yeah and so interestingly so Northampton was a low-income working-class area when he was growing up there in like the, you know, 50s and 60s, there are high levels of illiteracy, but uh, Moore read a lot from an early age, uh, both novels and comic strips and like exploring a diversity of genres and themes. But he did start early on getting into more of the like fantastical readings and stuff like that. And he was doing well in pr- his primary school exams and then got to go to a uh, special secondary school that had middle and upper class students where he saw like all of a sudden things changed in his grades he went from the top of the class to the bottom and he was no longer being encouraged the same uh and uh although i feel his um works actually have a very academic flair to them when you read like watchmen and some of his other stuff he actually himself was very disinterested in academic study and s- said quote is quoted of saying that it was to indoctrinate children with a life of punctuality, obedience, and the acceptance of monotony, uh, which I think you can kind of see that uh, pushback because, I mean, his characters and the way he writes is anything but, you know, about, you know, obedience or acceptance of the monotony. It's all, you know, very wild. And so then uh, in the late 60s, as a teenager, he began publishing his poems and essays and fanzines and then started his own called Embryo. Uh, By the late 70s, he quit his office job and began writing and illustrating his own comics, including one called St. Pancras Panda, which was a parody of Paddington Bear.
1: (laughs) Amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So early on, even then, he was still doing like, you know, like sort of like these like, oh, here's this beloved thing. Dark twist. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Like in uh, he's in uh, Simpsons episode. And Bart Simpson goes to him and he's like, oh, Alan Moore, you drew my favorite radioactive man comic. Oh, you like that I turned your hero into a heroin-addicted jazz enthusiast who doesn't have radioactive powers. (laughs) And then Bart's like, yeah, it's like when he punches people. Kapow. Uh, But it it is a very good, like, uh, self-parody of uh, Alan Moore. Uh, And so he got his first uh, underground comic series. Around that, like late 80s or uh, late 70s, beginning of 1980, called Roscoe Moscow, who investigated the death of rock and roll. Uh, and it was uh, published in like certain, like some of his, a lot of his early stuff would get published in these music magazines. So you can see kind of where that would come from. And then he first sort of entered the US mainstream in 1983 when he was hired to write Swamp Thing, which was selling poorly at the time. And this is, I think, the first time where Moore really got to show his magic, because then he reimagined the character a bit differently to address, like, key environmental and social issues, or still keeping those fantasy horror aspects, and reviving these, like, forgotten DC supernatural characters, uh, and also creating one of the iconic DC characters, John Constantine, who was whose look was based off of Sting. Uh, and so... Constantine first appears in Swamp Thing number 37, which I actually didn't realize until I was sort of researching him that he was the creator of Constantine. Uh, And then he got hired to write a story for Superman with illustrator Dave Gibbons later uh, in the mid-'80s. And then from there, they would go on to uh, work together on his most famous work, Watchmen, which started being published in 1986. And then this began the trend of U.S. comic books Like, or was part of the beginning of, like, U.S. comic books addressing more adult-like sensibilities, uh, which I think you can see in a lot of Moore's works. Like, I could, as I said, I could go on and on, but, like, I'm sure that, you know, like, a lot of us, we've read, you know, either, like, Some of Watchmen, The Killing Joke, V for Vendetta, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from Hell, and so on. So he's done, like, lots of classics. He went on to win countless Eisner Awards, basically becoming, like, the Meryl Streep of comic book writing. like <laughs> He's got like over 20 Eisners or something like that. And I think just nine of them are for like best writer period, uh, which is like, I, I'd, I'd have to check the books, but like, I, yeah, I think that's the most he's right up there. Uh, and Tom Strong himself earned more several Eisner awards, including uh, four best writer awards he got during the years he wrote Tom Strong, along with, you know, other titles he was working on, and he got a best single story award for the issue, first issue called how, how Tom Strong Got Started, um, which I think is a very good title to start a new hero, uh, just to talk <laughs> about how he got started. Um, but yeah, that's the backstory of Alan Moore and the backstory of Tom Strong. Yay!
3: Yay. (laughs) So
0: so, Sasha, why did you choose Tom Strong for for today?
3: I chose it because at the time when we had first started emailing back and forth, and I had recently done a couple of videos on Tom Strong because the compendium had come up, which was collecting the original 36 Mm -hmm. issues all together in like all in one place. And I wanted to talk about it because it feels like it kind of gets forgotten a little bit in the, the catalog of Moore's work. You hear all the time about Watchmen, D for Vendetta, even things like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow or for the man who has everything or all of those types of stories. But you don't hear so much about the more. Optimistic by contrast, even though it still has a lot of depth and things going on, Tom Strong. And I feel like that's just a bit of a shame, especially because Tom Strong is a bit of a reaction to the response to those darker works of kind of like a look, hey, like we can still do all these really fun comic book things. And he talks a lot about how much fun he had writing Tom Strong, even though he also puts it down and says, oh, it was so simple and all those things. But (laughs) he gives great quotes, they're so good. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just, it's such a fun and especially for the period it comes out unique work because it's hearkening back to some of those eras and styles that you don't see so much anymore. More. And so it feels almost like a hodgepodge even though it's very deliberately constructed and that's something that i find very fascinating it feels like you're going everywhere like oh you're in space oh you're back in time oh there's dinosaurs oh there's all these things but really they're all coming together to create a very kind of cohesive character and universe and that's very rewarding it's the kind of work that behooves being read more than once and it's just something that I think a lot of people, when they say they're looking for like, oh, I want a comic that has all this action and fun and all these things. I feel like it's something that they might be into. So that's one of the reasons I really wanted to spotlight it and bring it up because it's hard, especially if you're new to comics to know where to go. There's so many, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I find
0: Alan Moore, like if there's certain creators that sort of loom large in the, in the medium um, like alan moore being one of them um, frank miller being the opposite mem like the polar <laughs> opposite of him um but and people sort of yeah like you said they see the, these like for me i is top 10 is one of those ones like mm. that where it's it's like nobody remembers it but it was like a fun police procedural almost like brooklyn 99 with superheroes kind of thing oh, cool. at times like and it's like this people like don't remember it because again it was one of those like well before before wildstorm got picked up by dc and sort of fell through the cracks there Mm -hmm. um so yeah well what if why don't you share with the audience a bit of the plot of robots of doom uh let them know what to expect
3: (laughs) so robots of doom is you can read it on its own, but it does it is a bit more rewarding if you've read some of Tom Strong to get into, but you don't have to. But it's just you get to recognize some of the characters like Savine and the like, because it is continuing off of those issues six and seven from the original run. In fact, that you're dealing with Tom Strong's son, Albrecht. Uh, his um, unconsensual son with Ingrid Weiss Mm -hmm. from those issues. But why I was interested in it is because it picks up from that story and that it's Albrecht essentially rewriting the world, rewriting the history of the world into the, third reich paradise that he's been seeking casting tom strong off to have to write the world but also deal with the new versions of like characters that he's familiar with and now he has to encounter them in this new environment it also plays really well because there's the how tom stone got started arc that you have in the original run that's a really great just experience in an alternate universe but tom strong doesn't get to be a part of that he gets to hear about it he doesn't actually get to experience it he hears about it so this is kind of a case where he gets to be part of that alternate world and you get to see all of those little subtle tweaks and changes and it really harkens back to that earlier story and it it also impresses me in how much it maintains most of the tone from the original series because Peter, Peter Hogan did write a bunch of issues from the original run and so continuing on here it feels like it hasn't really skipped a beat and that's a lot of fun I know it's not exactly the same but I feel like you get the essence of Tom Strong in the story and it's also smaller and more condensed and just a few issues so it's easy to to dive into and it's mm-hmm. nice and contained so
2: I I just wanted to say, because this was actually my first uh, time reading Tom Strong, and Mm -hmm. it very much made me want to go back and, like, start from the beginning and just go through those 36 issues. Uh, I was actually trying to get the compendium out from my local library, and it Mm -hmm. was actually, like, on, like, it was, like, all the issues were, like, were out, or all the, like, yeah, versions of it were out and uh, on hold as well. So, like, I was like, (laughs) oh, wow, like, it is, I guess. More popular than i thought but like even just reading those for like within the first issue i'm not it felt like you're jumping into a popular well-known series like as if you like jumped into the middle of like a key spider-man arc or something like that like it really had you know like that feel as it like that almost had like confidence in the writing and in the characters and like that huge world that was all set up and and it has like, that
3: tension, that tension already. Yeah. Like from the start, you're like, no, he has to go and he has to write the world. Like this isn't right. It can't stay like this. Like he has to defeat Albrecht, and you're wondering, like, what? He's his son. Like if you haven't read it before, like how did this happen? So it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I, sure. it was kind of neat because you have that sort of setup in the in within the exposition at the top of the first issue, where it kind of like establishes, oh. Stuff is going to happen, and nothing is going to be the same afterwards. So you know this is impactful, and it was nice because like it balanced like world-altering stakes with a personal story at the mm-hmm. same time. Like it never f- like I find that, that that's the problem. I find I mean I love the MCU. I love all sorts of comics, uh, big and small. But sometimes I find the stakes are so large. You just lose the thread. It's just like, this is just so big. It's hard to grasp. Whereas, like, this really was a father son, father and son issue kind of thing. It's
3: because, like, if the stakes get so big, if you were to actually address all of the changes that it should make, You would be left with such a huge mess, which is why by keeping it inside the scope of their relationship, even the subtle changes they do make to some of like his relationships with his villains or other characters can still slot back into the timeline when he kind of slips back into himself. And it doesn't feel like things have been altered in such a way that it's a completely different universe or character or anything that you're reading. Yeah.
0: One of the the very first things Where you see the universe changing And I was like that's a cool little subtle thing Is like the Einstein Warhol in- image yeah. in the background Where it changes from like Einstein To Hitler and it's like Oh, right. well, like if you yeah. don't look in closely, you don't notice it. And they're like, oh, it was."
1: this so has gone subtle. bad fast. No, genuinely yeah. so subtle. And then when it happened, I like I genuinely gasped like I was being bad yeah. and I was it during class and it took the air <laughs> out of my body. And it wasn't until I went back and I was re- just re like looking at it, just details before this episode. And I realized it was like an Einstein to Hitler thing. And it was it was insane to me, even like the way that. It was because it was the first time that I had read Tom Strong at all. Um, and even from the opening, when you're like, you have the Guardian, like in this like thing where he's walking around his like castle, like, it wasn't it a castle, a mansion. I'm not, I can't remember, but um, like he even telling himself like, oh, you know, me like mumbling to myself while like telling the story. And I thought that that was like a very clever way of just like understanding the tone and also the comedy that I was going yeah. to expect from the rest of the comic as well. It really mm-hmm. set it up for success in that way as well so,
2: yeah yeah like you said sasha how it's like these like deep like serious like bigger issues but still doing it with that like fun sort of like i don't know that very fun way like you know there's this kind of like a comedic bit or whatever mm-hmm. about like yeah the old man it, i think mentioned it feels like an
3: adventure that's one yeah, of the yeah. things about Tom Strong is that it always feels like an adventure. And so even when you're tackling some of these deeper, like really horrific things, when you think about them, like his brother is essentially erased from existence for a moment, but you know, it's fine. He'll be fine. But <laughs> <laughs> the way that it's presented, it very much doesn't have that kind of ponderous kind of dour tone. So you can have fun with yeah. it. And in a way, because of that, it can go a bit, you know, darker at points. And it doesn't feel quite as heavy as it would otherwise
2: yeah well it's kind of like i mean like indiana jones and raiders of the lost ark where like you know he's fighting the nazis but like they're sometimes a little clumsy and like he's like you know like it's a swashbuckling adventure and like yeah like that kind of thing
0: and i mean it really like i I, i one of the things i i enjoy about alan moore over somebody like frank miller they both deconstruct the medium that they're working in but uh with Moore, I find he deconstructs it because, as much as he says he hates it, there's a part of him who lo- that loves it. Because you don't hate something that much unless you love it, and and it's like then things like Tom Strong, where that's obvious. He loves a good adventure. He loves a fun story. And even though this isn't written by Alan Moore, it, I feel mm-hmm. like this like you said it carries on that that feeling and that homage to a forgotten. A Forgotten type of story that we don't see Very often we almost got it it almost Came back with Buckaroo Banzai But that was that just that just went went Too far it just leaned in too hard (laughs) But uh, yeah It's one of the things that I I love about This particular Run is you you do see those Relationships change like with Pluto with With Mm -hmm, the the villain and that Hoop is awesome Like he's just like this fun character he's like oh get me one of those 21st century ladies and a cold drink
2: (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's great like sort of to go back to like the like serious nature because when he gets yeah like pluto dr permafrost uh to like join uh yeah like sort of to join in on him like there is this like serious moment of how it's like you know lost contact with my you know family like you know back in germany and mother's jewish and so on but then also like you said being like yeah i need a like a cold beer and a hot woman and i'll help you guys <laughs> defeat these robots of doom
0: even even his shopping list had like three colas listed on yeah, it like yeah. if you look it's like three I, I can't remember i had it written down somewhere but like nuts,
1: a few bolts and then like yeah three colas. It is ridiculous
3: it's it's a really yeah. rewarding moment with dr permafrost too because in the original run you don't hear about him too much and he's very much like a mwahaha like style villain who took mm-hmm. Greta away from like Tom and like that's the reason the relationship is over and all of those things so it's interesting then to see it presented through this entirely different lens and really mm-hmm. see this character fleshed out same with Albrecht because in the original, run when you only, it's actually one of my favorite moments in issue seven. I think it is when you get to the flash to the future and you see that Tom Strong is still beating him up as like a gray haired man and everything. Mm -hmm. And he just has that angry freak out of like, I hate you. You never let me do anything. And it's just like this (laughs) little kid freak out. And I was like, but I wanted to see more of that because it was an interesting concept so when hogan brought it back i was like yes this is one of the things i wanted to see elaborated upon
2: yeah. it's like the cat Stevens song father and son if the son was disappointed that his dad wasn't fascist enough like, it's not, like, <laughs> yeah. but it is that like you know like father and son relationship and also like he has this very like oedipal relationship with his mom where like You know, they're very close and like cuddly and she's got this very low cut top and it's very much just like, no, I need you alive. My mom needs to seduce you kind of thing, like, (laughs) like under like sort of subtext to it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. But yeah, like you said, there is like a lot more fleshed out there.
0: I really enjoy how at times, too, it comes close to fourth wall breaking, but never quite. It like, it like pulls at the tension at the surface level um, every once in a while. Like when Tom was talking to young, like future Tom was talking to past Tom, and he's like, look, every menace we fought sounded like they're from the pulps. And where it's just sort of like calling out the structure of the comic And it's like, yeah, even they know this is kind of ridiculous. (laughs) And that that sort of helps with the stakes in a way there where it's like, yeah, this is they're big, but it's still fun. You're going to have a good time. Just stick with us kind of thing.
3: That's one of the fun things about Robots of Doom is that even though it is a very on the surface like very straightforward kind of adventure story all of tom strong including robots of doom have these moments that are very rewarding if you are into comics because they always slip in these little kind of nods or references or little just notes of Arid's past or tropes or just things that they're doing that makes it extra rewarding like it's still fun if you aren't aware of any of those things but if you are you get that little extra kind of insider like huh, huh like we're doing this like do you remember when this happened and it's like a lot of fun
0: i I have to say as a villain albrecht is kind of kind of a, a, a nincompoop like he's just such a like it's like literally the villain trope writ large like he's like okay well i'm gonna beat you up and then telling you my plan and then we'll wait till tomorrow when you've rested then i'm gonna beat you up some more and tell you more of my plan and it's like your father is a a man of science and adventure. Why are you telling him
1: this? <laughs> yeah, some things that shocked me about the way that Albrecht even like talked was just how outright he was in his beliefs. Like to the point where yeah. he was like such a clear, clear villain. Like he would say, like, mm. no more Jews, no more Arabs, no more community. Like he would like like say it almost in such an outright sort of way that it, it but, but it was like it's so explicitly stated, but it also didn't feel cringy to me. And I think it just the way that the comic was framed, that's why it felt like that. He was so much of Tom's synthesis that it was. I don't know. It was very effective for some reason. I like that
2: for sure. And like, where, like how you said, you gasped when it went from like Einstein to Hitler. Like yeah, when he reads out that list and the way he talks about all the people of like no more, these people, these people. I was like, Ooh, like, like I really felt that. Like when he goes through like all the like all the people who are not part of like you know his Aryan vision so to speak
1: oh absolutely and then when like openly saying that he like not even killed millions but billions and then you have like I call Mm. them like the non text panels when it's just Tom and you see his expression and him Mm. taking in the information like those were so effective to me um even like you like even Tom saying like there is nothing of me in you like I didn't consent to you being my son but there's nothing in in you in me like that, i thought that was really cool i know.
2: yeah absolutely and like it's because i was when i was reading up about sort of the history of it like the whole idea like that like albrecht like sees tom strong as this like Aryan ideal but tom strong is more like superman and that like no i'm not trying like you know i'm here to like help the world and just like make everything better and you know that sort of thing which i think is really uh Yeah, so, like, he's the one who's like, no, I have to do the right thing, and uh, so, like, I don't subscribe to this Aryan ideal that you're talking of, that you're, like, trying to thrust upon me.
3: No, the way Albrecht's written, too, and just that very kind of just blasé way that he states things also marries a little bit with the childishness that, like, they're trying to convey as well. Like, it's, it's always stated almost in the way that just kind of someone very immature or childish would just in this kind of, like, yeah, black and white, this is how it is kind of thing, and it's just and that also is relayed in tom's reaction of just the horror and just also that sadness that carries through because there is that guilt and you see it in that final moment when he does have to finally you know like put him down and put him away like he doesn't want to he still doesn't want Mm. to despite everything and it really highlights just that guilt of that feeling of like you know if i had been there like maybe he would have been different and that really carries through even in how you've seen the world change. And that's really interesting, really highlights the heroic nature of Tom strong as a character, just that sympathy, despite everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I also thought it was so cool how Tom was
1: like, for me to get you to change your ways, I need to like get you to educate yourself. So I'm just going to give you all the books yeah. about all of these philosophies and ideals until you stop, like you abandon fascism, which I thought was so like, I don't know. It was like, again, like could be seen as obvious, but it's, it's, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's true it's fair like it's like yeah of course get somebody to like educate themselves and other ideals what are your thoughts about that
2: yeah well it's very different from like the usual like i'm gonna beat you up until you like submit or, like until <laughs> yeah you agree just with throw me, you in
0: jail it. until you break out and come back in like six issues like it's like yeah there's actual, like that's the one thing that you never see in in like, Traditional comics is somebody actually putting in the effort to reform the person that they put in jail. Yeah. Like it's kind yeah. of implied sometimes, but this is like Tom actually taking an active interest in Ulbrecht not being evil anymore, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and it's like, well, oh, that's nice. That, that's yeah. that's a, a, it's the a least you could do as his dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, Batman,
2: you can learn a thing or two from Tom <laughs> Strong.
3: No, please. Awesome as they we'll said, be in like, Blue Beetle.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well in in the blue beetle movie recently where they're like batman's a fascist i'm like oh my god they said that on screen (laughs) yeah it's like that's the one part of the old dcu that's coming into the new one is blue beetle so i'm like oh okay that'll be interesting uh tangent tangent but yeah Yeah. um one of the things i i also enjoy and this is as much a alan moore thing um is like the the little n- nuggets of actual history that are that are threaded throughout like the black mm-hmm. sun was like this uber evil organization within uh the Nazi hierarchy and stuff like that so it's kind of like it's like the, it's it, Neil Gaiman does the same thing too he takes yeah. actual history that's so bonkers and out there and then just runs with it so to make albrecht part of this organization and it's pseudo mystical in nature and stuff it it kind of like it it sort of grounds it while making it even more fantastical all at the same time.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it shows that like the Third Reich really did set themselves up like a sci-fi villain like type organization, right? Like, yeah. When you see all the yeah like and like even like the names of their like you know awards and medals and stuff like that, like it's all very it was like written by like a pulp sci-fi writer.
0: Or a thirteen-year-old boy trying to sound awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is it's one of the reasons why Nazis are always the good bad guy. Everybody hates the Nazi and it's okay. Well, sadly, we won't get into the political situation yeah. at the time of recording. Yeah. <laughs> but-
2: I
3: don't know where the Albert with- was on
2: January 6th. Like <laughs> yeah. the
3: thing with like Robots of Doom that I think also makes it stand out is that because um like Nazis and like World War II time travel twists can be so common because it is, as you said, like the go-to, like, what do we need to do? Let's do that. But the thing is this Mm -hmm. one, it still feels fun and fresh and not tired because that can happen. It's just like, okay, we're, we're doing this again. Like, let's, let's go. Okay. Time to punch Hitler. But like this one actually does feel (laughs) interesting because it's so interwoven with all of those other things going on again that's very much more the backdrop the vehicle for all of the other parts of the adventure and that's part of why I think it it works so much better than it could have where it could have just been very flat and very you know by the by the book I guess
2: well and I was going to say on that even like the titular robots of doom are also like really fleshed out with their own like complicated history where they're not just like these born villains and these people are kind of like forgotten and then like lash out, lashing out towards humanity. And you can kind of understand why they do that and how, like, I guess they could be radicalized by the wrong person. And I was like, oh, wow, like, th- this is actually like a very relevant uh, analogy with like the robots of, with the robots uh, mm-hmm. themselves. Like, that was, so that was, I thought, very clever. And I think it's why, like, I never thought like, all right, another back in time to yeah. kill, like, the Nazis type thing. Like, I didn't even occur to me that it was, like, this common sort of idea because it was done such, like, a fresh idea. And, like, the robots of doom aspect, uh, you know, was so great with, like, oh, what's the name of the people who live within the core? Darrow? Um,
1: the Dero? Yeah, that's
2: yeah. right. With well, the, the Darrow Diro are
0: the robots. Uh... Uh, the
1: Dero well, well, are yeah, the, or the robots. Yeah, the are the robots. And then Val is one. He, they're like the fire people, but I uh, cannot remember. That's right, yeah. Yeah.
3: But I cannot. But yeah, resume. sorry. Yeah, I
2: was just gonna say. I thought like that was really cool the relationship with them.
3: Yeah. No, it's good because like you hear Robots of Doom and you expect something, you know, very very cheesy, but that's not what you get. Well, <laughs> uh, um,
0: any thoughts while we while we wrap up? Uh, anything? Anything anybody wants to share about the ser- The the run? i think check newman was
1: my favorite character yes check it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah. newman was my favorite I mean, character for sure i thought like the pneumatic man um was somebody who i mm-hmm. really related to i tend to relate a lot to like the sassy robots um and i think <laughs> that newman was definitely one of my favorites even when sorry i'm so sorry i could see <laughs> no, no
0: no 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 i, w- I wanted to go ahead
1: go ahead okay I no, uh, even like the fact All that right. albrecht like says like he the, when he fixes newman and takes away his like vocal tics like i'm somebody with tourettes and that was like so i don't know that really really hit me like this mm. guy who took away like these vocal tics that this robot was having and it just made me love newman more and he's the one who kind of saved the world in the end so yeah i like that yeah no, it but, but.
0: the the robots are the kind of the saviors of the day in a way even yeah. when they're misunderstood i yeah. i have to wonder like Because this came out before, oh, the original came out before Venture Brothers. Helper looks just like Newman. And (laughs) it's like, I have to wonder how much of Helper's design was taken from Newman. This is the exact same eyes, the exact same body shape. Little hat. Little details. (laughs) (laughs) Little hat, little hat. Uh, I mean, and that's kind of like, interestingly, the cartoon equivalent in a way like i i feel there's kind of a parallel between venture brothers and tom strong they're telling the story differently on like the opposite
3: spectrum like one's about failure yeah. and the other one <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah,
0: exactly
3: uh,
0: but cool awesome well sasha thank you for joining us today thanks for recommending robots of doom um you've been listening to detecting the marvelous You've been listening to Detecting the Marvelous, a Far From Here and Showbizmonkeys.com co-production. Their producers are Dan Rosen, Matt Ardill, and Shahara Ghaznabi. Music by Glenn Bouchamp and art by Ben Steamroller. Thanks for listening and remember, true believers, Excelsior!